loo rolls, animals, brooms, brushes, anything anyone could get their hands on. Uncovering some of the most amazing stories from some of the most talented innovators and creatives in marketing tech and digital. This is the Wonderful People Podcast. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Wonderful People Podcast with the wonderful Phil, Dan, and a very special guest who Phil will introduce shortly. So Phil, 2021, tell us a little bit about your year so far. That's the first time you've ever introduced me before yourself. You said Phil and Dan. So I oh, can really? sense there's a, there's a little power gig going on. <laughs> Phil's in charge. Come on, we all know who the boss is, really. I think going oh, forward, uh, going forward, it's no longer Dan and Phil. Is it Phil and Dan? Oh, here we go. There we go. I like the sound of that. Who's creative pool influencer of the year? You or me? Uh, That is with me. It's you, exactly that. So I think we all know who's in charge. Anyway, how's your year going so far, Mr. Jones? A year's going really well in this. It it couldn't be any weirder than it has been. Um, But the last week or so, this storm, Christoph, that's been a bit of a nightmare. It's been really windy here, which means it must be near you as well in Wet Maidstone. But yep. all my family live in Manchester, and that's taken the brunt of it all. So, you know, they've been that? having a hard time. But one thing that's been really good that's happened in the last two days, um, you and Craig Johnson, who we interviewed recently, were taking the mick out of my age. <laughs> and you were both having a little go at my round number birthday. And uh, I, I got a little text from the NHS to say that my vaccine is tomorrow. Oh, amazing. So there we go. one of the only good things about being an old fart is that, <laughs> you know, tomorrow I'm going for my jab. He's going for his jab. That's brilliant. Yeah. And you've still I'm, got more hair than me. You I've might, you might be hair. an old fart, but you've still got, you've still got that hair. Still got that Georgie best look. Uh, and our listeners uh, won't be able to see our guest at the moment, but she's got enough hair for both of us. <laughs> yeah, she really has. <laughs> lots, lots of it. Um, which brings me to making the introduction. So today I'd like to introduce a woman that grew up in a sporty family, particularly with granddad, and one that ruled out her early career aspirations of becoming a dentist, a doctor or a lawyer. And instead, she became a sports journalist. A chance encounter took her into the role with the All England Lawn Tennis Club, better known to us as Wimbledon. And 10 years later, she proudly heads up communications, digital and content for one of the world's most famous and respected sporting brands. She appears in the Beamer 100, the Drum Digirati and PR Week Powerbook for the last four years. Her personality, which is fantastic, ensures that she's one of the first names that I put on my sports podge guest list every year. I also tell you that I have got a date for that now, which I'll let you know later. So as of yesterday, uh, it's my great pleasure to introduce Alexandra Willis. And I'm going to let Dan fire the first serve in her direction. First serve. I like it. I see what you've done there. Welcome, Alexandra. So lovely Thank to be with you. Thank you so much. So, Alex, Alexandra, first question we always ask is a slight curveball question, which is, if you were to be stuck in a lift with someone, who would it be and why? So, I think I have to commend you on this question because there's so many avenues that, that you could take it down. And I spent a bit of time thinking about it. 
one of my first uh, options was David Attenborough, uh, partly because he reminds me of my my granddad, and I think we'll we'll come on to talk about him. Um, but the person I think I would really enjoy spending time in a lift, but would probably want to get out after a while, uh, would be Elon Musk. I would just be really interested to see whether the persona that we that we see through social media, through the media, is true, and and get an understanding of how his how his brain works. I think uh, I'd learn a lot, even if I wanted to get out after a while. It's true. It could be quite intense. It would be an intense lift, I think. Yeah, but it'd be, that's a great answer. I don't think anyone else has said that. No, no, no. that's a, that's a new one as well. Great and answer. And it would be an electric lift, of course. True. And it would take you to Mars. Anyway, we're, we're, extrap- <laughs> we're extrapolating the point now. But yeah, good answer. Good answer. So, Alex, you've achieved industry-wide recognition in your use of technology at the All England Club and the Championships. And you've led Wimbledon to become one of the most well-respected digital brands in sport. How has this been achieved? Um, I mean, I'm immensely proud of, of, of what we've what we've done at Wimbledon. And it's, I think, been one of the hallmarks of the changing face of of sport and this idea that sport can play a meaningful role in in modern life. Sport doesn't have to be just the way that it has been envisaged um, for years and years gone by. And it can mean something to people beyond the action in in front of them. Um, And what's been, been brilliant is what we've been commended for is not necessarily what we've done. We've developed a digital strategy that's multi-platform, multi-channel, tries to meet the audience wherever they are, whatever time of day, whichever country, but it's how we've gone about doing it and not compromising on who Wimbledon is or who the All England Club is, staying true to those values, traditions, uh, character, but showing that you can innovate and you can deliver extraordinary change um, whilst staying true to who you are. And to get uh, slightly fluffy for for a moment, what Joe Biden said at his inauguration around people looking for the power of examples is probably the thing that I'm most proud of in terms of Wimbledon's digital transformation because everyone can make it their own and and do it in the way that that, that works for them. And I think that's why we've been successful because it wasn't something that felt foreign and alien and an enormous shift internally it felt entirely natural and and the right thing to do and we built trust as as we went yeah and and you've summarized that so incredibly well but it's that digital transformation process is incredibly hard to get right because it's not just about the technology it's about the people and the processes and it's, it's really really sort of quite holistic in its approach and to see the results that you guys have generated as you've gone through that journey is absolutely phenomenal but i can imagine that um How's that been this year? I mean, we don't want to dwell on the pandemic. I mean, I think we've had enough of talking about it, but obviously I think it was the first time since the Second World War that the championship hasn't been hosted. Um, so what's this year been like as a team as you've had to navigate, you know, the digital journey, but also the practicalities of of, of the challenges you've had? How's it been? Well, I mean, you know, immensely difficult uh, situation for a company that by and large gets ready. We often say that, that planning Wimbledon is a bit like planning a wedding. Um, but except it's for half a million people and it lasts for two weeks. Um, so for most people whose primary motivation is getting ready for those two weeks, to have that taken away from you 
and the realization that it's not going to happen was was obviously you know emotionally challenging um for for all of us coupled with the dynamics of needing to completely change the way that we worked and i think it's fair to say that of all the businesses who were very ready to move to remote working and all of those who were not quite so ready to move to remote working we were on the other end of the, the spectrum it just wasn't something that that we did we, we weren't used to video conferencing um but two positives i would highlight i think it's made us much closer as colleagues i think it's made everyone and this would be a general trend made everyone more human you see people being interrupted by small children or having to hop up and get the door or you know whatever it might be change your working hours because it's not going to fit with your your family life and, and your other responsibilities and I think sport is an industry where the people are so important so meeting each other on a level as people um has has been been really important and then the other thing um was which I would point to was the reaction of our fan base to Wimbledon not happening. We were so overwhelmed by the passion uh, demonstrated by Wimbledon fans around the world who it was almost like a tipping point for them. Um, we think that if Wimbledon wasn't going to happen, well, then this thing is really serious. And obviously wow. here we are, you know, however many months later and, and we're still in, in the midst of it. Um, but finding an opportunity to give them something back. And we were really proud to muster our energies and, and try and challenge our creativity to give fans a way of uh, experiencing Wimbledon in, in 2020 without live tennis. And that's where digital you know, comes into its own, all these platforms and tools that we're lucky to have. Everyone could put their own personal stamp on, on Wimbledon. And that was our Wimbledon Recreated campaign. Fantastic. Amazing. Brilliant. Um, it's just it's nice you mentioned about your colleagues and getting closer to your colleagues because of like what you've been enforced to actually do things with them but uh, you've done quite a few things with them this year haven't you this last year that you would never have done and you opened up food kitchens for and that was that your staff that were doing that the Wimbledon staff yeah so um when obviously when the, when the coronavirus pandemic struck all sorts of organisations around the country, around the world, were thinking of, of how they could help. And I would think it's fair to say that, that Wimbledon has had a desire to do good and a desire to give back, but not necessarily always known how and, and what would be the most appropriate way to do so. And following the cancellation, really led by our chairman, he, he articulated this desire to make the extra time that we had in not staging the championships worthy and to put it to good use. And that formed the sort of the basis of our coronavirus response was how do we not just give money and giving money is obviously important, but how do we use the time of the people that we have and the resources that we have to make a positive difference? And you're absolutely right. So one of the things that we did was open up one of the kitchens that wasn't being used um, and use that kitchen to cook 200 hot meals a day that were then delivered by City Harvest, a food distribution partner, to people in the in the local community. But we also gave away all of the 2020 merchandise, tennis balls, towels, clothing, and it was our colleagues who were there packing it up, um, you know, writing messages of support, um, and even the Wimbledon strawberries. Uh, some of our colleagues came into the grounds, including our chief executive and sat there hulling the strawberries 
putting them into punnets that went to local hospitals. Um, and I think that's this this concept of how do you how do you act as a, a brand that not only delivers something that's excellent that people aspire to, but you also act like a, a business that looks after its people and looks after its community. Mm. Um, and I think 2020 has been a, a pivotal year for us in, in that respect. And didn't you also let the staff or key staff all play tennis at Wimbledon this year? Yes, we had the the unbelievable opportunity. Um, our members had a, an opportunity to play on centre court um, and they raised money for charity, which is not something they've done before. We invited uh, key workers in partnership with the Mayor of London to come and play on the grass courts. And sort of the third piece of the triangle was was the staff. Um, you know, we walk past these courts every day. I've often said they look like the most unbelievable picnic uh, landscape. Um, and to actually have the opportunity to play on them was, you know, once in a lifetime experience. It was like dancing on a springy carpet. Brilliant. Albeit, in my case, very badly. <laughs> right. Probably so better you, than me. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about the way you've worked with your partners and used digital storytelling to create the Wimbledon magic? while all the real life stuff's not been available to us? So um, we're very lucky, um, as many sports uh, properties are, to work with fantastic brands. And we see the relationships we have with our brands as helping extend the Wimbledon story and take it to places that we can't necessarily reach. And we've got a, a broad range of partners from, from America Express to, to Oppo, uh, a mobile phone company in China, um, to you know the more traditional Sassinger and Ralph Lauren and, and Rolex. I think the thing that that is is changing in in the sports industry landscape is, as you say, this idea of of storytelling for mutual benefit. That it's not just about creating a piece of clickbait content that's going to do really well and putting a logo either side of it or a bumper, but genuinely working out where the two brands meet um, in telling a story. And one of the particular things we did this year working with IBM was create what we called the greatest championships. So if we couldn't stage a real championship, how could we bring together all of the archive that we have, but put a narrative around it rather than telling an 18 year old to watch this match from the 1980s with two people that he or she's never heard of actually saying you should pay attention to this match because it is one of the greatest second round or third round matches of, of all time and this experience was something that, that built day by day we added new matches day by day trying to recreate an appointment to view and IBM did all of this turned it around within eight weeks um, when they're used to having a year to plan and, and deliver for Wimbledon um, all at their own you know their own uh, cost and expense because it was the right thing to do for our partnership and, and for, for Wimbledon audiences. Were you dealing with Matt Candy at IBM? So Matt's not directly involved in, in the Wimbledon partnership, but but we know him very well. He he attends every year with a raucous group of people yeah. uh, who he shows off Wimbledon proudly to. He's a great, great supporter and a good, good friend. Yeah, he's a great guy. I like him a lot. Are you enjoying our podcast? Remember to subscribe, share and leave us a review. Just picking up on the recreated campaign you mentioned, which was obviously, you know, something for the fans and by the fans. 
how, how did that work out? What were some of your favourite moments? And I bet you've kind of, you've now seen it from the fans. I bet you've seen some incredible moments in real life. So what are some of your faves? What are some of the things that have stood out to you in those campaigns? So it was um, such a, a fun, you know, experience to go through, albeit with the backdrop of um, challenging times for everyone. Um, and it really started with um, this idea that Wimbledon means many things to different people. Some people come for the tennis. Some people come for a lovely day out. Some people come for the strawberries and cream. Some people come to try and see David Beckham in the Royal Box. Some people come because they're lifelong Roger Federer or Serena Williams fans. And we wanted to find a way of, of celebrating that. It would have been very easy to say, right, everyone, let's all play tennis and create a giant virtual tennis rally. But Wimbledon is privileged to, to go beyond tennis because of these other passion points that it has. So the message was really simple. It was whatever way Wimbledon means something to you, recreate it and, and send it to us. And we were lucky to have Andrew Cotter, the broadcaster, voice the launch film, um, who was one of the stars of lockdown, he and his, he and his dogs. So hopefully immediately that, that made it accessible to people. And we did see a lot of tennis courts made up of loo roll, animals, animals. <laughs> uh, brooms, brushes, anything anyone could get their hands on, people. But we also saw all sorts of different things. We should write to the British Bake Off because the number of culinary creations was extraordinary <laughs> um, and they could definitely do a Wimbledon theme uh, in, in the future. But some of my favourites were how people just interjected Wimbledon into their into daily situations. And there was one particular breakfast table where they put up a net in the middle of the table and they had a small child dressed up as an umpire, almost refereeing breakfast, <laughs> um, which was just a way of, of showing that it, it can be part of, of, of daily life. Um, the geographic spread was amazing. We saw somebody playing tennis over a Highland cow, which was quite amazing. Um, Interesting. And, uh, and and spread of spread of ages, spread of territories. It really brought home to us how far and wide Wimbledon can reach. Brilliant. That's fantastic. And do you have any any favourite real-life moments? Not necessarily on the court or anything like that, but anything in terms of, yeah, just the memories? Because it's so much of what you're, you, you're talking about is that, that emotive connection that people have with Wimbledon and the whole brand. It's so much more than just the sport. It almost supersedes tennis, doesn't it? It becomes something that transcends just the game. And But how about in real life? Have you got anything that you kind of think, oh, that was a moment? From my experience at Wimbledon, yeah, I was very lucky. I mean, one of the jokes about working at Wimbledon is everyone always says, oh, you must watch so much tennis. And, and the answer is that normally you're squir squirreled away in a box somewhere, looking at a screen just as if you were at home. And uh, in 2013, Andy Murray's in the Wimbledon final again. Um, and he's in the third set against Novak Djokovic. And I thought, well, I really want to try and watch some of it, but um, there's plenty of time. I'm sure it will go to five sets. And all of a sudden, he's in the, the, the last uh, game of the third set, and everyone was sort of saying, this could be it. So I ran to a commentary box with a view of centre court, which was amazing. You're right up at the back, and you see these, these sort of stick figures running around. But it's soundproof, so you can't hear anything. Um, and so watching watching the, the the play go back and forth, 
and all of a sudden he wins. He drops his racket and does his amazing fist pumping celebration. The crowd go up and then it's almost like, you know, when you see a wave coming and you see the ripple of the water and then you eventually hear the crash. It was like that. You suddenly got the sound in, in the commentary box and the reaction of the crowd. It was just wow. amazing. Wow. Um, my other memory, which is probably less impactful, but meant something to me, was getting to meet Hacker the dog. Um, right. The, the BBC puppet who always turns up at Wimbledon and, and makes an appearance. And I think, again, shows that there are these icons in our in our culture, in our society, and they all have a place. Um, and it was, you know, great fun to meet Hacker the dog. I've got a photo somewhere. Amazing. Great memories. So in taking a step back, obviously we've been, we've been really focusing on Wimbledon and just the sort of journey of the last year and the digital transformation journey, but how did you end up doing what you're doing? So, you know, how did you end up at Wimbledon? I know you've got a passion for sport as, as Phil mentioned up front and how did the tennis, the passion for tennis and sport translate into you end up doing this incredibly important and, and great job? So, um, yeah, as Phil said in, in, in his kind opening words, it wasn't my my first sort of career choice I didn't grow up saying I absolutely want to work in sport um I absolutely want to work in content communications and digital I definitely didn't know what those things were and I had these ideas of being a dentist or being a doctor um most of my family uh, are doctors in fact if you've seen the film The Madness of King George III Mm. Dr Willis is one of our ancestors so there's a proud history of doctoring in, in the Willis family uh, but couldn't couldn't quite work out how to, to do any of those things realized I would be a very bad doctor and was going to be a lawyer having studied history it's a logical thing to do and suddenly realized that I had these two passions uh, an absolute passion for sport which which came from playing every sport that we could when I was younger um, very much inspired by my my grandfather who loved to watch his grandchildren running around the tennis court, hockey pitch, whatever it might be, um, and writing. The, the sort of power of the written word uh, is something that I think will last forever, you know, regardless of the mediums and the way that we consume yeah. it. It's the ability to capture a feeling and emotion through words is, is amazing. So I went into sports journalism and I thought, oh, well, you know, a woman in sports journalism will make me slightly unusual. Um, it'd be easy to get a job uh, and of course nothing is, is ever quite straightforward and, and there is no right way to do it but I was lucky to send a letter off to various different sports magazines and the tennis magazine that I wrote to wrote back to me saying oh, actually we could do with somebody to come in and write kit reviews and look at ranking reports I got that job and the rest is sort of history. Brilliant now uh, do you were talking about Andy Murray uh, Judy Murray was one of the first people to congratulate you for something in your private life that happened in 2020. And, and I think in the same month that Wimbledon normally happens, if I'm right. But uh, tell us a little bit about your own special news. Yeah, so um, I became a mum uh, for the first time. Um, and you're absolutely right. Uh, the uh, our little Maggie um, or Margot arrived in June. Uh, which was going to be a bit of a challenging situation given the staging of the championships. Um, but we, we had it worked out and I discussed it with uh, with my colleagues. Um, and I have to admit that when the championships was cancelled, lots of people contacted me saying, 
well, that's worked out rather well for you. Um, <laughs> because, uh, of course, I've, I've had the great privilege of, of seeing her grow up you know, every day. Um, and as the, the, the co-parent, my, my wife did the hard work in, in, uh, in having Maggie. Um, it really hit me that what, what so many people go through and having to go back to work after just a couple of weeks it's extraordinary because a two-week-old baby is a tiny, tiny baby. Um, and so being able to, to be here and, 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 and see her every day and support and help has been, been brilliant. And actually, the, the picture that, that Judy commented on, um, the, the LTA sent us a tennis racket toy. So, of course, I uh, put this into Maggie's hands when she was five days old. Um, and Judy agreed with me that it's never too early to start with your kids. Actually, while you mention the LTA, a lot of people that are not tennis fans, what is the difference between the LTA and the ALELTC? Because that is not for you, it's straightforward. Dan, I'm not sure whether you know, but. Of Here course I do. Of course I do. I'm just going to let Alex explain it properly. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's a really good question. And, and I guess one of the things is, you know, should it matter where things come from if they're well delivered? You know, should it matter the organisation behind something if fundamentally the end product is, is good? And the sports industry is a really complicated one. And there are lots of alphabet soups and acronym, acronyms and different organisations. But Fundamentally, the way tennis works in the UK is that you have the governing body of the sport who are responsible for participation and performance and making sure that there are great opportunities for people to play tennis recreationally, but also progress and, and you know, reach their, their true potential. Um, and that's what the Lawn Tennis Association does, the LTA. And Obviously, one of the ways that sports attract attention and generate revenue is through staging major events. Um, in tennis, there are these four Grand Slam events, which are the biggest events in, 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 in the sport. And Wimbledon is the Grand Slam in the UK. And for various historical reasons, and there's a very thick book that I actually have on a bookshelf here that one could read uh, for chapter and verse called The History of Wimbledon. It was agreed that um, in the UK they would separate these two functions and that the All England Club would focus entirely on staging the championships and making Wimbledon the best, most successful event it could be. And the LTA would focus entirely on delivering the sport in, in the UK. What makes it more complicated is that the other three Grand Slams, it's one body. It's one governing body that also delivers the the main Grand Slam in, in, in those countries. So it's a peculiarity that, that we have to live with and, and navigate. But ultimately, we are both trying to ensure that tennis is a thriving sport in, in this country. Now, Dan, is that how you would have described it yourself? Uh, very similar. <laughs> no, do you know what? No, this is <laughs> confession time. I didn't know that at all. Right. I was Over actually thinking exactly. <laughs> no, now I've dropped myself in it and you've dropped me in it. But um <laughs> just Alex, just looking at sort of now, we spent quite a lot of time talking about 2020 and and obviously your preceding years, but looking at 2021 and right now we've got the Australian Open kind of 
kind of starting, kind of kicking off. It all looks a bit stressful over there at the moment. They've had to make some tough decisions, some hard decisions to continue in the way they're going to do it. And you guys have had to make some tough decisions this year. I mean, looking at Australia now and looking at what the immediate future looks like, are you breathing a sigh of relief that you guys have made the decisions you have? Or are you still working things out for this year? How does it kind of look for, for, for Wimbledon and for your role? Yeah, so um, obviously the the nature of decision-making is very different depending on which country you're in, which event you're running and what your priorities are. Um, and Wimbledon was in the in a privileged position last year uh, of having insurance cover, um, which meant that cancellation was an option um, for us. Um, it actually comes back to the, the complicated um, LTA point because that was the best way to ensure that we could still deliver funds to the LTA for the running of tennis in, in this country. Um, the, the Australians, um, and you know, we, we have good conversations with, with the other Grand Slams on a, on a regular basis, um, all we can do is offer them our support and um, you know, they will have achieved a monumental effort in staging their event and pulling it off. And they're doing so because they they want to give tennis players an income. Um, they want to ensure that the sport can can survive um, this this challenge. And tennis players, unlike you know cricketers with central contracts and and footballers with with club contracts, are essentially self-employed people. Um, and they and they rely on the income not just for them but for their for their teams as well. Um, for Wimbledon this year, 2021, we're we're actively planning. Um, we're uh, part of a group of other major sports events in the UK that are thinking about how how to go ahead and absolutely want to go ahead. But obviously, it's going to depend on how things look right. when we get to June, June and July. Um, and we're all hopeful that, the, that these events, the Euros, Wimbledon, um, Henley, Ascot, can can be you know a positive sign that we're getting out of this. Wouldn't um, that be amazing? It would. It would. One of the things you said earlier was about the the uh, in choosing journalism, like the power of words and mm. content. And uh, I do you remember at Sports Podge a few years ago when we had the rowing theme and we had the poet Mike Gary. I do. And he wrote he wrote the poem for uh, the rowers in the room, but uh, and it was complete silence in the room. You know, everybody just thought astonishing like really well done and uh, his podcast is the next one up next week so you you can check that but the, the reason I mention it is because um, the the lady who did the poetry for Joe Biden which I thought was absolutely sensational I only found out this morning that she had a, a stammer herself and had to get over the stammer in order to be able to wow. recite poetry. And then all of a sudden she's doing it for an audience that's global and at 22 years old. And I think, wow, that is, so, so the poetry seems to be coming back in vogue, which is really lovely to see. Uh, what can we expect to see at Wimbledon 2021 and beyond? And what have you been cooking up this year that you're gonna surprise us with? I mean, firstly, just to say, I thought um, her, Amanda, her, I think her name is, her performance was unbelievable. And what she also demonstrates is that all of these things that we think of as being 
old fashioned or have been around for a long, long time can be extraordinarily current and, and relevant. Um, and I hope that loads of young kids are watching that thinking, wow, that's something I never even considered. Yes, I'm still going to play my video games and create my TikToks, but maybe now I'll pay you know attention to words, um, words too. Um, so for, for Wimbledon this year, our, our ambition really is to, in whatever state that the tournament takes place, um, to really create that idea of, of positivity and an opportunity for people to come together wherever they are in the world and, and, and celebrate. And we will have a, a marketing campaign. We, we have a campaign uh, every year and we work with our broadcast partners on that. And the, the sort of sentiment of the campaign is very much this idea that wherever you are in the world, you can you can have a Wimbledon experience, a Wimbledon moment. Um, so that's something that we'll be focusing on, creating lots of content in, in support of that idea. Um, we're also thinking of how we continue to modernise our experience. Um, and something that, that sports properties have recognised is that someone who comes to Wimbledon isn't remembering what the experience was like last year in terms of what you could do, how you could purchase, what you could see, what the app looked like. So thinking about the app that they used the day before um, or the week before or how good Amazon's click and collect was or, or whatever it might be. And that's the benchmark that we need to set ourselves against. Um, so making sure that everything is as easy as possible for people who come to Wimbledon, that they feel safe, that they feel that they can trust us in the way that we're, we're delivering the, the event. Um, and then the third area is loads of things that, that we probably haven't thought of yet, but we'll be trying to respond to whatever situation we, we find ourselves in. Um, I'm sure a lot of that will be around virtual experiences and, and digital experiences. Brilliant. And digital ticketing, possibly? Definitely on the, on the radar, on the, yeah. on the agenda. Just in terms of your career, Alexandra, obviously you've been, achieved an incredible amount so far and we've kind of weaved between the digital element and then, and then Wimbledon as a tournament and, and the experience of the whole thing. But what would be some of your, would you say, be your career highlights so far? You've got a long career ahead of you, but yeah, around that digital transformation journey, around everything that's been created in the Wimbledon experience, what would be one or two of those real sort of career highlights? Great question. Um, I, I think probably two in particular I'd point to have, have both been based on reaction to what we've done rather than necessarily what we've done. Um, and a few years ago, we took the decision to be the first sports brand in Europe to do a deal with Snapchat. Um, and we we discussed this with our board. Um, you know, as mentioned earlier, they 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 had trust in what we were doing um, and they were happy to, to endorse it. But the thing I was really worried about was how many people who follow Wimbledon or engage with Wimbledon would actually be on the Snapchat platform. Right. And the feedback that we got was, I'm not bothered about tennis and I, you know, I wouldn't choose to follow Wimbledon, but this content is great. Wimbledon is like a music festival. Look at this amazing different spread of things that people are doing. Um, essentially that, that idea of we, we surprise them and we, we change their expectation and we change their perception. And that was true of a, a website relaunch that we did similarly, where we had 
this piece of moving video when moving video was all all the all the range in in websites where this guy was mowing the lawn and he he goes up the screen disappears and turns around and come back again and somebody tweeted i'm really not bothered about tennis but i just spent 20 minutes watching a guy mow a lawn on a on a website like that kind of thing it really makes it makes it worthwhile and i would say the same thing about the response to our um cancellation communications and um the Wimbledon recreated campaign and, and the, the coronavirus response. Um, the feedback from a YouGov survey that we conducted was that Wimbledon's reputation reached the same heights as it did in 2019 when wow. Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic played arguably one of the best finals we've ever had. Right. And the growth was amongst the 18 to 35 audience. So those those are the kinds of things that help you think you're doing it, doing the right thing. That's phenomenal. And as a, as a marketer and a digital person, so much I want to comment on about that in terms of being able to translate a brand from one generation to another to create the relevance. And that that's absolutely phenomenal. But taking a step back from from some of those stories, in just in, I mean, it could be Wimbledon related, but just in your life in general, what was the last thing that you saw which you thought, do you know what, that's really wonderful? Um, so I've been think, thinking about this one too. And... Um wonderful I think it's wonderful because it's the right thing to do rather than necessarily wonderful in terms of raising a smile and and Phil will be familiar with this I think from judging of various awards that he's done but the football club AS Roma um, within the last year put out a marketing campaign for missing children in the city and again you think about the, the power of sport to reach people and resonate with people but also do something to help. I just thought that was extraordinary and a great reminder that it's not just about excellence on the stage. It's about the community and the role that you play in the community. Brilliant. Great answer. Amazing. Before Dan finishes off, two personal questions. Um, One, I saw that your mom was best friends with Benazir Bhutto. Uh, How did that happen? And... (laughs) And you called her, she was anti-Benazir to you. So that's that came as a surprise, left wing. Yeah, and and the, um, sec- the second one, by the way, if you could finish up, is you're, you've been hiding for four years. You've kept it quiet about a second passport that you have. So <laughs> uh, you've now got the freedom to let us know. So both those questions are personal. And then we'll let Dan finish off. Yeah, I'm very happy to, to talk about anti-Benazir. Um, so my mum... Unusually ended up um, as a mature student at university. She um, she got into university, um, wasn't particularly enjoying it, and uh, dropped out. Did another A level at night school. Um, my mum has got many qualities of determination wow. and grit that I wish I've inherited. <laughs> and uh, reapplied and, and went to Oxford University, but age twenty five. And when she was there, she sort of was surrounded by all of these young young people, these young women. Um, And there was another woman who was a similar age to her because she had come from Harvard. She'd done a degree first at Harvard and then had come to Oxford to do a postgrad. And that lady was Benazir Bhutto, the former prime minister of Pakistan. And they struck up this extraordinary friendship, Um, very much a story of sort of East and West, different cultures. They were both presidents of the Oxford Union, the debating society, the first two female presidents 
Wow. Um, and it was a friendship that, that continued. Um, we used to go to each other's kids' parties. There's all sorts of terribly embarrassing photographs. Me mm -hmm. going through my awkward teenage years um, with, with Benazir and her kids. And um, Benazir was very sadly assassinated uh, 12 years ago, I think. And my mum's finally written a book about their friendship. Um, so, uh, that, yeah, that's one of the reasons I've what's recently book? mentioned What's the it. title of the book? It's called The Fragrance of Tears. Wow. Okay, we've got to get that. Yeah. And the passport. And the passport. So uh, another, another sort of story from my parents, um, that they, they had the opportunity to live in, in the US when they were newly married. Um, my dad was working for, for a bank um, and my mum was a journalist uh, working for BBC World Service. And uh, so I was born in, born in the US, born in New York. Um, and so, you know, when you're born in the US, you, you, you become a, a US citizen. So uh, very proud dual citizen. As you said, it's been something that has been a bit challenging um, for the last few years for anyone who has American citizenship, not necessarily recognising the country that they're, that they're living in or associated with. But there's so much hope and optimism, I think, now and, and love spending time in, in the US can't wait to be able to travel there again. Yeah. Fantastic. Well done. That was, uh, I felt like we could have taken the podcast in a whole new direction there. No, that. that could be a separate someone, podcast. It could be with some of those stories. That was brilliant. But just coming to land, Alexandra, just a kind of final question we always ask our guests is that as a digital agency, we're all about sort of taking complex problems and making them wonderfully simple. Taking a step back from that, what's one of life's complexities you'd like to see made simpler? Something that enabled us to spend time where we really benefit from spending time rather than having to invest so much emotion and energy in things that just shouldn't take as long as they do. And the list of these is endless. Buying a house, for example, right. renting a car, um, changing details with, with things that you need to do. I feel like, and you mentioned earlier, the challenges of digital transformation. I feel like we're in this sort of, not limbo, but ongoing transition of making some of these processes more straightforward and, and easy to do. And don't get me wrong, we've come a long, long, long way. It's amazing talking about America, spending time there and how dependent they still are on cash. You know, that it, and whereas in the UK, we're obviously so far advanced in that, and that's the virtue of being a smaller country. Um, but I think being able to remind us of the really important things and making sure we spend time on those and not not wasting time on things that quite frankly can wait till tomorrow great answer fantastic can i applaud thank you very much for the interview thank you for tuning in to the wonderful people podcast this podcast is brought to you by wonderful creative agency find out more at thewonderful.co.uk